And uh, I learned something. Uh, I'm learning it as an aspiring pilot now that training and conditioning are not always the same thing. They, they work together. And uh, I've flown uh, with numerous race car drivers. Johnny Rutherford won the Indy four times. Uh, Scott Sharp. Uh, I, I'm not even remembering all of them. But, but I've, I've flown with a lot of them. And I've, I've met some NASCAR guys because they're, some of them are born again through some minister friends of mine. Never been to a NASCAR race, don't desire to go to a NASCAR race. I mean, when you watch it on TV, that's all you need. Uh, I don't have to take air protection when I watch it on TV. But I'm not going to watch 200 laps either. But anyway, a lot of this stuff is just a reason people can get drunk legally. Okay, I'll go on. All right, go into these things. Anyway, um, I ask every one of them, how did you start driving? Johnny, Johnny Rutherford didn't start in a 500 horsepower vehicle. He started in a go-kart. Most of these drivers start in go-karts. They start training with go-karts. That's not new. What are they doing? They're conditioning their bodies, their reaction time. Because you see... Going around an oval at 240 miles an hour, bumper to bumper, is not normal driving. Just because we can drive 70 on the freeway doesn't mean we're ready for 200 miles an hour going around a curve that's banked in heavy traffic. What are they doing? They're graduating their conditioning. Do you see that? Same thing with pilots. You don't start out on a jet. You don't train in a jet. You start out in a Piper Cub. You start out actually in a classroom. You start out on a book, ground school, right? And then you graduate up and you start and then you go from a, a Piper to a Cessna to a, you know, to a, to a, you know, a, a Pilatus or something like that. Or, you know, a, a, you know, I'm, I'm skipping some, some aircraft. There's, there's so many thousands of aircraft, but. I've been right seat in a 1958 de Havilland Otter, 1959 de Havilland Beaver, float planes that land on the water, take off on the water, or skids on the snow. I've been a right seat in those. I've been a right seat in Cessna 172s. 152, 172, 182, 204, or 206, um, 300, which is a twin, all the way to a Cessna Citation 500, which was a hoot, the amount of thrust in a jet engine compared to a turbo is mind-boggling. But why... Why do they condition them? Because you're not ready for a jet propulsion if you're not ready for a piper that gets off the ground at 40 miles an hour. 
You understand what I'm saying? So in our walk with God, we must develop spiritual fitness to be able to graduate to the level. We just don't go out and cast out devils the day after we're born again. There are things that we must condition ourselves, be trained in. Come on, somebody. So it's necessary that it, it takes that. And that's that way in every field, right? You know? Have you ever been to that mechanic that it was his first day? That's just not good. I, I'm not interested in going to a dentist where, the, you know, he just got out of dental school. This is not, this is not cosmetology. I mean, the, you know, come on. This is not, uh, uh, you know, whatever these these local hair, hair men's haircut shops are, you know, uh, discount cuts or whatever it is. It, it's no, I, I just no. You're you're dealing with teeth. It's different. Uh, you know, my teeth aren't going to grow back. The hair will. You know, so come on. You, you, so you understand what I'm saying? So. Spiritual fitness is required. Somebody over here like to have this? Anybody? All right, sir. And this this is faith, fathers, and family. This is talking directly to men, directly to fathers, how to develop as a father my faith walk for my family, how to be the husband I'm supposed to be, how to be the father I'm supposed to be. Somebody like to have this? Anybody else? All right. There you go. And then... Uh, make sure, we'll mention this tomorrow, make sure that if you're a dad or a granddad, make sure you get one of these. I didn't write this book, but we're the number one purchasers of this book. We buy these at a case at a time, over 600 at a time. Confessions for Raising Winning Kids. There's over 52 scriptures printed in right here. You don't even need a Bible because it's just printed right out of the Bible. The confessions that you can pray and speak over your children, your grandchildren, Somebody needs to be speaking, the wa- speaking and washing the, our children with the water by the word. Amen. So take advantage of that. It's $3. If you can't afford $3, I'll give you one. But if you leave here and uh, say that you couldn't afford this and I gave this to you, and then you go to McDonald's to the drive-thru and get your iced coffee, then I pray you spill it all over your, your, <laughs> your, your car. Uh, if you buy this this wristband that says Contending for Faith, based on Jude 3, what we're talking about today, if you buy this for $25, you get a free T-shirt. Or you can buy this by itself. This is called Contending for, for the Faith, right out of Jude 3. It's a little wrinkled because it's been uh, rolled up and then unwrapped and rolled back again. Uh, need to talk to somebody about that. But anyway, um, this is um, the highest quality t-shirt we could buy. It's stretchy, but it's uh, it, it will not shrink. It's, it's not mostly cotton. It's all this new acrylic stuff, or not acrylic, but uh, this composite stuff. And this is the highest stuff we can, we can uh, purchase. That's why it's a little more expensive. We'll give this to Pastor. The rest of you have to buy yours. We'll give away one tomorrow. On the board, 
These three numbers identify what I've been talking about. I just don't make up these things and, and you know, want to talk about them. These are real issues. The 88% is a real number. It's 20, over 20 years old. It's the same number, 88% of our spirit-filled, not, not Baptist, not Methodist, not, not Lutheran, not Catholic, but 88% of our spirit-filled kids lose their testimony in the first year of college. 3.5% represents the percentage of family members that get saved When a child is born again first in the family, that would include a teenager. So when a child or teenager of that family becomes born again as the first person in the family born again, only 3.5% of the rest of the family gets saved. That's pretty bad. 17% represents... The percentage of the family that gets saved when the mom, the mother, the wife gets saved first. That leads us to the last number. Guess what that one is? When the father, the husband, gets saved first, 93% of the rest of the family gets saved. This is a no-brainer. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. You see, God did not ordain our children to lead spiritually. God did not ordain the wife to lead spiritually. God ordained the husband to lead spiritually. Now this is alarming to me. And it also tells me that men have abdicated their role. And I, I've got all kinds of t- statistics about this because I study this all the time. Number one, I'm a product of this. That's one of the reasons God called me to do what I'm doing. I'm a product of it. I know what it costs. I know, I know the devastation level. You see, my mom was a backslidden, spirit-filled, tongue-talking lady. My dad was a backslidden Baptist. But it doesn't matter who's backslidden and where you're from. It doesn't matter what your origination was from being born again. The point is backslidden state. And it's going to create hell in the home. That goes back to The devil attacking the entity, the devil attacking the organization, the vehicle of godly authority in the earth, which is the home. If the devil is successful at destroying a marriage, he's now become successful at destroying that family. Hello? I don't say that to hit anybody over the head. Not only am I a product of divorce, I married a lady that was divorced, that had a, <clears throat> had a three, three and a half year old daughter. I know what this does. I know what and how the enemy operates and functions in this manner. 
Somebody has to stop the stupidity. Come on. These are church numbers. These are not worldly numbers. These are not secular numbers. These are numbers that are happening in the church. And it's critical that we understand this, that we, that we get this, and that we stop this. Well, what about, what about what Isaiah said when the, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. What standard do you think that is? The standard is the Word. The Word is the only standard. Opinions are not a standard. The Word is the standard. Because that's from which godly authority functions and operates. God is even held to His own Word. Jesus is, and God are not just doing whatever they want to do today. They're held to their Word. Come on. They're held to the Word. Jesus is the Word. He's not going to violate His Word. I posted, you know, I, I live in a border state. I, I live, you know, and we, we just found out the Biden administration just released the fiscal 2022, which ended in June, just released the numbers of illegals that were, have been caught c- coming across the border in the last year, fiscal year, from 2021 to 2022, 2.3 million and then you add another one million gotaways that were counted. Who are the gotaways? The ones that don't want to be caught. The sex traffickers. The drug dealers. Come on. The people that mean harm and evil for our nation. You see, it's not just Hispanics coming across the border. It's Iranians. It's Pakistanis. It's Libyans. It's Chinese. Come on. It's Russians. I live not far from the border. I go down to the border on a regular basis. I talk to those pastors and those landowners. I have a pastor friend that has for years set up game cameras on his property on the border. And he sends me pictures. Three to four nights a week, there are 40 young men dressed in all black military you're looking uniforms and boots those are not migrants they've got uniforms migrants dress in whatever they can find you know contraband nike shirts and under armor tops and and fake under armor shoes and whatever that the, the the chinese are selling in those in those latin countries it's all, it's all, you know, aftermarket stuff. It's not, it's not licensed. You know, I, I've seen, I've seen sh- shirts in, in Latin America that say N I reverse K E because they don't know how to spell Nike. They don't know what the, a K looks like in English. And that wasn't, they weren't, you know, Nike didn't print that. And, you know, it's some real thin T-shirt that they can get from China or or Panama or wherever. But my point is, they come across in uniforms carrying weapons and big backpacks and duffel bags. They're not coming to shop for better products in America. Three to four nights a week. 
The reason he's got the game cameras up is not to catch them. It is to see what kind of game is operating through because there's a lot of big deer on the border. I've got another pastor friend. I could name the name, and everybody in here would know who it is, except maybe the young people. I was just with him in August, and he showed me pictures on his phone of ranch land that they own on the border. And his caretaker at their ranch, he comes up to where I live, and they buy cattle for where I live because I live in cattle country. And they have that, that, the cattle down there on the, on the border. And so this caretaker of the ranch, this cowboy, sends them these videos on his phone of their cut barbed wire fence. Now, that's not the least bit unusual. What was unusual about it, it's a five-strand barbed wire fence. Some people use four strands, but, you know, a good fence has five strands. So five rows of barbed wire. And they normally cut the top two rows or the top one so they can get over the top of it like this. But the top three were not cut. The bottom two were. And then they were wired back together to make it look like it's okay. And he sent in this picture. I saw this picture. I said, that's interesting. He said, my friend said, put up those game cameras right there. In the trees, see what's going on. And that very night, these coyotes, which are these human smugglers, are taking children. No parents. See, this, this, this folks, we're, we're being lied to through the media and through our politicians. These are not mostly young men coming across the border. Excuse me, families, excuse me. It's mostly young men, not family, and children. And they're bringing the children under the wire, and they're using them for sex trafficking. Well, my friend is pretty high up, and they're on worldwide television. And he gets on the phone to the attorney general of Texas, who he has a relationship with. And he says, can I send you these pictures that were just on my land? And he named the town. He named the area. He said, absolutely. He sent them while they stayed on the phone. He sent them those pictures. And he said, I just want you to know, if you and the governor don't do something about this, we're going to go public on national TV with this. And that attorney general and the governor did do something about it within three days. And they changed the rules and they changed the laws. They went into emergency session of the Texas legislature and they changed the rules about sex, sex trafficking of children, bringing them across the border. We already have those laws for United States citizens, but we didn't have those laws for children being smuggled into our nation for sex trafficking. 
Nobody's tell, talking about this. Have you heard about it? Nobody's talking about this. We're under assault, folks. We're under assault. And it's the enemy behind it. It's the devil himself that's behind it. Well, there's only one thing that stops the devil, and that's the word. Jesus, when the devil came to Jesus, Jesus didn't say, don't you know who I am, man? Hey, dude, don't, don't you know who you're talking to? No. He said, it is written. Three words. And then he quoted the word. If I were to ask most men in our, our kind of churches if they could quote a scripture to the devil, wonder which one we would quote. I wonder if we could even quote one. Thank you for your enthusiasm. God bless you. <laughs> Come on. We need to be the lead. God made men to lead. God made men with the mindset, with the physical nature, with even the, the mental capacity to lead. God made us to be linear thinkers so we could get to our destination. I know that as a rodeo cowboy son, we didn't stop for anything except fuel. You don't stop to smell the roses. You don't stop to look at the scenery. you got to get... He'd wrote, ride a bull one night, we got to get, by the next day, we got to get 400 miles to ride a horse the next night or, or the next day. And you didn't stop to potty. That's what Coke bottles were for back then. If you drank one, you filled it back up with a different color liquid. And then the poor people following us thought it was raining. It was just my mom emptying the Coke bottle out the window. That's real. We had two boys in our family. Our cousins, they had a girl. They brought a, they brought a, a pot that big so she could use it. Because her dad was a rodeo cowboy too. You didn't stop. When you, you stopped for fuel, that's when you ate. You used the restroom. You got something to drink. And then you got right back in the car. And you went and, and headed out. And back then the, the, the uh, speed limit was 70 miles an hour. But... It never was in Ar- I mean, uh, P- Pennsylvania. Remember my parents talking about the Pennsylvania Turnpike, about how they couldn't believe the fog on the P- PA Turnpike. Because I, I, I just want to say this. I, I, I'll mention this tomorrow. But my parents weren't these losers to begin with. We're talking about a Marine. We're talking about a world champion rodeo cowboy. We're talking about uh, people that were, my mom was smart. She was beautiful. So you, can, you see, you can start out with all these goals and have all this ability and have these looks. And my dad was on the cover of a George Strait album because he's this handsome, athletic dude. I mean, uh, he played Division One football before the Korean War and, 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 and then was a Marine. And I mean, we're talking about winners. But winners become losers really quick when they refuse to know who they are in Christ. Hello? So, turn over to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. Chapter 6. 1 Timothy. Chapter 6. The last chapter of 1 Timothy. Verse 12. It says, fight the good fight of faith. 
lay hold on eternal life, whereof, whereunto thou art also called, and hath professed a good profession before many witnesses. What's he saying? He's saying to believers, Paul's writing to Pastor Timothy, but it's also to believers that when you're born again, when you've professed that good confession of being born again, you've got to get in the fight. It's a fight of faith. He tells him in 2 Timothy, you've got to endure hardness as a good soldier. You, you, you've, got to, you've got to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I wonder today how Jesus looks and sees his church. Well, he sees a lot of AWOL people, absent without leave. He sees a lot of woke people. He sees a lot of wussies. Now, he doesn't confess that over us. He confesses, just like he did over Gideon, that we're mighty men, mighty women of valor. But that's not what he sees. He sees what's real. But he's believing and confessing for us to be what we're supposed to be. Come on, somebody. It's time for the church to be the church. Upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But yet, the gates of hell are prevailing against it. Why? How? Because our feet are not on the rock. We haven't built our lives on the rock of the word of revelation of who Jesus is in our lives. We have this ideology of Christ. We have this mentality of Christianity, but we're not walking in it. Now let me wind down with this. It's not enough to be saved and that's it. There's nothing in your Bible that says saved and then just coast till the trump blows. We're supposed to be occupying. We're supposed to be seizing the day. Come on. That's what redeeming, that's what carp diem means, seizing the day. We're supposed to be occupying. We're supposed to be seizing the day. We're not supposed to be just taking whatever comes. And we're just become survivors. And I hope the devil doesn't shoot at me today. Let me tell you what it's supposed to look like. We're supposed to know who we are in Christ. We're supposed to have our full identity in him. And we operate from a different position, a position of victory, not trying to achieve victory. We are in victory. We are more than conquerors. We already are that. So let's be that. Instead of, oh, Lord, why did you leave me? Why did you forsake me? We sing songs, never leave me, never let me go. 
Do you not know the word? He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He sticks closer to you than a brother. But yet we sing those nice choruses because it sounds so good. Run your face into this as fast as you can. Need to slap some of that ignorance off of you. We're supposed to be operating from a position of victory, of authority, of faith. There's only one way to do that. By training, by conditioning, by submitting to coaching. That's what a pastor's for. Sheep don't do well on their own. Don't try this at home. But you will be devoured if you're not under a shepherd. Can name some names. Even shepherds need shepherds. So again, the Friday Night Light School. When I was a sophomore, that's when I was first on the varsity. There were three of us guys. I was at our latest reunion this summer. I've only been to a couple of them, and a guy reminded me, he said, you, you, you remember that you, me, and so-and-so, we were the first sophomores in the varsity locker room. I said, oh, yeah, I remember that. And we played, and we won the state championship. We had 22 guys off that team get D1 scholarships, and most of our guys played both ways. So there were second-teamers that got Division I scholarships. Why? Because they learned the system, and they were in a system that was highly successful. I have a lot of old coaching friends and coaches that coach for the Cowboys, coach for the Oilers, coach for the, the Titans, coach for the Giants, co- coach for all kinds of people and all kinds of teams and colleges and pro. When you mention my high school, they know exactly what, what, what I'm talking about. They know it in great detail. But what I want to show you is we had this we had this player that was unique. He was a senior when I was a sophomore. He's the first player ever in the history of the state of Texas in football to be all state offense and defense first team three years in a row. He's the only one that's ever done that. When he got recruited to the University of Texas, Darrell Royal was the coach. And Coach Royal was one of those old school guys that even though they changed the rule where freshmen could play D1 football. All these old school coaches, Frank Broyles, Joe Paterno at Penn State, Eric Parsegian at, at Notre Dame, et cetera, et cetera, Bobby Bowden at Florida State. They, because they're so old school, Bear Bryant at Alabama, because they're so old school, they, they would not play freshmen. And the reason why was because they thought they were too immature. And, and, and my gosh, if that was true then, what, it is, what is it today? <laughs> but, so freshmen didn't even get taped up. Even though they get suited up for games, if they made varsity, they, because what they had, they had freshman teams in the early days. But they couldn't afford that anymore in most schools, so they stopped doing that, and that's why they let them on the varsity. So here we are. 
The second weekend of October, every year, is the big Red River rivalry between University of Texas and University of Oklahoma. They meet equidistant between Norman and Austin in Dallas at the Cotton Bowl. Now, I've played in the Cotton Bowl several times, high school and college, and it was the worst field that we ever played on because it wasn't played on all the time. In the early days, the Cowboys played there, but then they built their own stuff. But it, it, uh, AstroTurf back then, you know, now they use field turf. It's rubberized. It's a way different thing. It's a lot like grass, less injuries. It's not hard. It's, it's really a great track. But AstroTurf was really fast, but the problem is it was asphalt with a piece of AstroTurf on the top of it. That's why it was fast, but it's also caused all kinds of injuries. And so we normally didn't play on that battlefields all the time, but we're playing at the Cotton Bowl. We're in, in Texas. We they they were playing at the Cotton Bowl. Texas is behind at halftime, three touchdowns. And the reason why is that at that time, Barry Switzer was the coach at OU, Daryl Royal at Texas. OU ran the wishbone. The wishbone is a famous triple option nobody hardly uses anymore. Triple option offense. That meant that there was a, a, a line, a tight end, a split receiver over there. There was a quarterback behind, under the center. There was a fullback behind him, and there were two halfbacks. So thus, the wishbone. So it, it, looked, it looked like this. Here, here's the line. There's the quarterback, and then here's the halfbacks. So it was, that's the wishbone idea. So what happened is normally this quarterback takes the snap and he's either going left or right or he'll do a counter, which he'll turn this way and hand it over here. But he'll, to try to miss, give misdirection. So he, he's looking at the defensive end as his read and the tackles to see, you know, based upon what they're doing, not getting the... Technically, but they didn't use zone, zone blocking. It was on purpose blocking. In other words, they're trying to double team the ends and different things and have just a crease where either the fullback could run. So he's, he's handing the, putting the ball in the belly of the fullback and the fullback is like this running through the line because I played against the wishbone, ran the wishbone. You run through here, the, the quarterback puts the ball in your belly, but he has both hands on it. And he's reading the D end, and if the D end is going up the field, then what is he doing? He's going to hand the ball to that fullback. And it's blocked to where he's going to get, you know, he's not probably going to score, but he's going to get a lot of yards. But if the, if the end is staying put, he's, he's not going to give the ball to the fullback, but the fullback runs through the line like he has the ball. So these guys tackle the fullback. Well, that's just less guys to tackle who's going to have the ball. So the quarterback keeps running. If the defensive end is still with him, still there, he pitches the ball to the trailing halfback on the opposite side because the other guy's going to block for him. If the defensive end runs up the field, the quarterback can't pitch the ball to the halfback, but he runs down the field. It's called the triple option. Fullback, quarterback, halfback run. So that's what they ran every down, every play, every game, every year. 
until that day. That day, they faked the ball to the halfback. And the quarterback would fake another pitch to the halfback, and then he would run back. As a defensive back, most everything back then was three yards in a cloud of dust. In other words, you're going to run, you're going to defend running teams. And so defensive backs would run like I was a strong safety. That meant I had to cover, I had to go tackle running backs. I had to cover the tight end on any passes. I had to come up there and tackle that fullback or that halfback. And so Texas defensive, defensive backs were running this way or running to the quarterback. I'll do it this way. Running to the quarterback. The problem is he pulled the ball out. And the end is running down the field all by themselves. And the quarterback would just loft the ball out there, and there's three touchdowns ahead. That's the only reason. Because Texas had the dominant team. So OU knew that they had to put in new wrinkles on offense to get ahead of Texas. So at halftime, Coach Royal is screaming at Billy Jack Wright. His last name was Wright. Billy Jack's a good Texas name. Hey, B.J., your safeties are killing us. Get somebody else in there. So second half, they put the second teamer in there. Same thing happened to him. Put the third teamer in there. Third teamer's not even taped up unless he's on special teams. But they put the third teamer in. He gets beat. Coach Roll screaming at BJ. BJ, your safeties are killing us. You got to put somebody in there and stop this. It's, it's real easy. But they're not trained to do that. They're trained to go up there and tackle that wishbone offense. So Billy Jack Wright, longtime defensive back coach at UT, looks over on the, on the bench at all these freshmen, and he sees my friend, who's all state both ways, sophomore, junior, and senior year in high school, he said, number four, get out there. The problem is, back then there were no scholarship limits, so there, there's ten number fours. Because they got all kinds of duplicate numbers. But my friend is the only one that ran, got off the bench and ran out there. He's not taped. He has no pads for that astroturf. He has no tape on his elbows, on his arms. He has no knee pads in his pants. He knows he's not going to play because no freshman has ever played for Darrell before. He doesn't care. He gets out there and runs off the bench, and he tells that guy, get your butt off the field. The first series, he hits the receiver. He stayed with the receiver. He hit the receiver so hard, he coughed up the football in the air. Another defensive back caught it and ran it back for a touchdown. Now there are only two behind. The next series, he hits a ball carrier so hard, he fumbled the ball. They recover it, they go down the field, score a touchdown. They're only one t touchdown behind. The next one, he intercepts a pass, and he runs it back. And then, not all the way, but then their offense goes and scores. The next time, the punt returner got hurt, so he's still out there on the field. He said, I can return punts. 
And by then, you know, the managers have put pads in his pants, you know, and taped him up, you know, and taped his ankles outside the socks, you know. And, you know, now he's, now he looks like a player. Got eye black on it under his eyes. I mean, it, it, you know, that's how he would normally dress. So he caught this punt and he zigzagged and he scored a touchdown and won the game. And he started every game after that. He knew his position. This is as high level of college football as you get. Alabama wasn't Alabama then. Like it is today. Basically, you had five major programs back then. Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Texas, USC. Alabama wasn't even in the picture there. Those are the major five programs. I mean, you could name easily name top ten. Clemson, no, no, none of that. Florida State, not even a top ten program. Miami, not, not yet. We're talking about 1973. What do you think a defensive back like that looked like? Division one college football. From the, one of the top teams of the schools in the state of Texas. I don't even have anybody here to even compare it. He was 5'6", 146 pounds. That's water boy size. Everybody here is bigger than that. How could he play like that? How could he turn the game around? They carried him off the field at the Cotton Bowl. How in the world can that happen? He ran a 4-7-40. That's slow for a defensive back. Really slow. I, I played with guys that ran 4-3s. 4-2-5s. Some of them could backpedal at 4.7. They were so fast. He's running forward at 4.7. 5'6", 146 pounds. How in the world can he compete at that level? Because he knew his position. The church needs to know our position. Because our position gives us authority in this earth. But we're too busy looking at everything else. We're too busy looking at the sights on our gun and studying all that. Don't misunderstand me. I hunt and fish. And I want the best of the best. And I want to, I, I want to, but it's not my God. It's not my idol. Or we're busy, you know, putting more gear on our pickup. Or we're busy doing this or we're busy that. Folks, all that's going to burn up, burn up. It's going to be gone. Let's get busy finding out who we are. Let's train. Let's condition. Let's be who we're supposed to be. I'll close with this. A man by the name of E.M. Bounds, who wrote numerous books about prayer, he made this statement. I read it over 40 years ago. I've never forgotten it. He said, men are God's methods. 
While man looks for better methods, God looks for better men. Let's be who we're supposed to be. Let's, let's quickly become who we already are as believers, who he's already made us to be. I'm going to ask the pastor to come and he's going to close in communion. But I pray that you don't take this communion unworthily. That you do it the right way. Meaning, you cleanse yourself. You make sure you're in the right mindset, understanding of what we're supposed to be like. That we make a decision today. I'm going to make a decision to be a vessel unto honor, a vessel unto God that he can use, that he can mold and make me into what he wants me to be. Thank you, Pastor. John's anointed to give you a swift kick in the cans. You know, sometimes we need to be awakened in the moment. And I think God brought John here to wake us up. Amen? And, you know, when uh, we started doing this uh, eight years ago, we just wanted uh, men to come together to have an opportunity to get into God's presence and to have some potent uh, information given to them that could bring about change in their lives. And um, we always uh, seal what the Holy Spirit has done with the blood. All right? So, Heavenly Father, we just come before you right now in the name of Jesus. And we're so thankful for the sacrifice that you made with your life. And, Lord, we give you honor and praise and glory. Your purpose was to come and die so that we could live. And, Lord, we just we don't take that lightly. And I just thank you, Father, in these next few moments that you're going to seal what we've heard, what we've seen with your Holy Spirit, and you're going to bring it back to our remembrance. You're going to speak to us about the things that we heard, Father, so that we can, they can be fully developed in us and grow in us. And we just give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name. You know, there is power in the blood of Jesus. And uh, the blood contains both the life and the love of God. And uh, we just we use symbols, but really communion gives us a picture of the price that Jesus paid for us. It's a picture of his uh, life, death, burial, and resurrection. And it's through the blood that we have the forgiveness of sins. How many are thank, thanking God that you've been forgiven? You know, God's not holding anything against you. If, if you came in here and you thought that God was holding things against you, he's already forgiven you. You just got to receive his forgiveness. 
And uh, his blood provides total redemption for our life. We have to be covered by God's blood in faith. It's an act of faith. It's an umbrella of divine protection around us. And, uh, you know, Moses did something interesting. Everything that was used in the tabernacle and for sacrifices, he sprinkled with blood. He applied blood to the instruments that were used in these things and to the people. And it was a way of purifying them and setting them apart for holy use. God has a purpose for you. Um, You know, uh, Mark Twain said this, the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. You know, when I found out that I was called to help people find their treasure and inheritance in God's Word, it changed my entire life. It it became a reality to me sitting in Bible school in New Testament survey when I came across Galatians 3.29. And it said, if you be Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And I said, that's my calling right there. And we have a slogan in our church as a result of something that I wrote down back then, inheriting God's promises and experiencing their benefits. That's our slogan. That's where it came from. That's my passion. That's my calling. Anyway, that's another note. Uh, You know, if Christ didn't shed his blood, sin wouldn't be taken away. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And uh, blood was, uh, you know, they used, they applied blood to the doorposts to stop death and to get out of Egypt. You know, we can apply the blood of God to our lives. When, uh, you know, Aaron and his lineage, they became the priests of God. And a priest had to be completely dedicated to God. They would put the blood on their toe and their thumb and their forehead. Okay? And... That means, or I mean their ears, the ears, the thumb, and the right toe. Uh, they were completely dedicated. See, you put the blood on, on your ears so that you're, you're dedicated to hearing God's voice. You, you put the blood uh, on his hand because that represents God's power. And you put the blood on your toe because he wants you to walk in righteousness. It affects your whole life. All right, And that's what he did with the priest. And uh, the priests were covered by the blood. And you know what? Revelation 1.6, we are all kings and priests. Say, I'm a king and I'm a priest. You got authority to rule and you got a connection with God. And uh, God wants uh, spiritual things involved with governmental things. My goodness, David was a king and a priest. He was the only king that wore an ephod. Ephods could only be worn by priests. Hallelujah. And, uh, you know, I, I can't, I can never talk about stuff like this without talking about benefits. So I'm going to give you some benefits about the blood that God gave to me many years ago. And then we're going to take our communion. I'll give you a chance to get your elements here in just a moment. You can have faith in the blood of Christ because it demonstrates God's justice and righteousness. The very foundation of God's throne is justice and righteousness. And Partaking this demonstrates God's justice and righteousness. In Christ's blood, you have redemption and forgiveness of sins according to the riches of God's grace. Hallelujah. 
Through his blood, we have peace and reconciliation with God. Through his blood, you, you have a right connection with God. You are justified just as if you've never sinned. Amen. The blood of Christ cleanses your conscience from dead works and helps you serve God. Some of our consciences need some cleaning. They need to be scrubbed with the blood. Amen? Oh, you go to that church, you're just brainwashed. Yeah, my brain was so filthy, let me tell you. I needed a good cleansing. You know, we're washed with the water of the Word. The blood of Christ gives you confidence to enter God's holy presence. And these are all scriptures, by the way. The blood prevents death from harming a believer. You know what blood does? Blood removes the sting of death. Hallelujah. And the, the last enemy that's going to be conquered is death. The blood of Christ speaks of better things like grace and mercy. Did you know that the blood speaks? It's got a story to tell. The blood of Christ sanctifies you and sets you apart. You have been marked with the blood of Jesus. The life in the blood is greater than death because it delivers from death. Do you realize that the, the death angel could not go through a door that was covered in the blood? It had to pass over. It could not enter the premises. Come on, somebody. Mm. Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. Out of that mess came miracles. Glory to God. Through Christ's blood, you you receive mercy, you're born again, and you have a living hope, and you obtain an inheritance. I like that part. I like it all, but that part especially. The blood of Christ is more precious than silver and gold. Can't compare. The value that's in the blood can't compare to silver and gold. The blood of Christ cleanses you from all sin. Everybody say all. all. You know, when the Bible uses all, it means all. It, there's not a sin you can't be cleansed from. The Apostle Paul was a murder, murderer and a terrorist until he met the blood giver. He met Jesus and he became an apostle and a preacher. His, his murder nature was cleansed. His terrorism nature was cleansed. My goodness. <laughs> Christ washed you from your sins with his own blood. You have been purchased by God with Christ's blood. We have been blood bought. Say, I'm blood-bought. And then finally, the blood of Christ helps you to overcome accusations of the enemy. We're overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. It helps you overcome. The enemy is the accuser of the brethren. But we overcome accusations with the blood. Are you guys ready to take the blood?
All right, I want you to get your elements. Do we have it? Uh, there, there it is up here. Uh, if I can have some help, Pastor Nelson, come on, open this up here, and you guys can come and uh, get the bread and the juice, and we'll take it together. Amen? And we're going to seal this. You guys are going to live like godly men. And then you're going to live for purpose. You're going to fulfill your kingdom uh, obligation. Hallelujah. You guys ready to do this? You guys ready to sign on the dotted line? Come on and get your elements. Hallelujah. We claim all these benefits by faith, by believing. And by the way, that's the last chapter of the, my book on depth. It's all about the blood. You know, I love it. Uh, Luke records something that the other Gospels don't. And uh, when Jesus, knowing what he was going to do, what he was about to go through, uh, not just the cross, but having his father turn away for the very first time in eternity, when he became sin for us, when he took all the sin. Here Jesus was with his closest friends, and he's saying, I long to eat this meal with you. My goodness. And he took the bread, and he said, This is my body which was broken for you. Let us take and eat the body, because his broken body means ours can be fixed and healed. Amen. Let us take this in. And he took the cup, and in like manner, he gave thanks. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. Let us drink. And Heavenly Father, we offer you thanks and praise for the work that you did on the cross, the empty tomb that you left behind, 
and the ascension to the throne of God at sitting at his right side, ever living to make intercession for us. Lord, we give you thanks and praise and honor for giving your life a sacrifice for us. For shedding your perfect blood, your sinless blood, so that we could be redeemed. Hallelujah. Thank God that we have a kinsman redeemer. We have a relative who purchased us from sin. That sin no longer has dominion over us. Hallelujah. It can no longer hold us. It can no longer dictate to us. Glory to God. It has been destroyed from the inside out. And we give you praise and honor and glory in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I want to thank you guys uh, for making the effort in coming and uh, being here last night and today. I want to thank the ladies who have uh, so diligently helped us and prepared. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, ladies. Uh, Melissa uh, decorated. I told her what I wanted, and I just let her go. She has a knack for that, and uh, she did awesome. Uh, I'm claiming this rocket here, but you all can take whatever rocket you want, as long as, you know, there's whatever's available. Um, Hope you guys enjoyed this time, and uh, don't keep it to yourselves, right? Tell someone what the Lord has done for you and uh, pass it on. I want to thank Pastor John for being here, and he's going to be with us tomorrow for our service. And uh, we're excited about that. Uh, Glory to God. Uh, My good friend, Pastor uh, Dwayne Wright from New Jersey, he came in. How about that? Amen. So awesome. God is good, isn't he? And uh, we just want to we, we want to see you get to where you, you need to be. We want to we want you to do great exploits. We're here to help you do that, right? We're here to lead God and direct you as the Holy Spirit leads, guides and directs. And uh, I tell you what, you have no excuses after today because <laughs> they have been kicked to the curb, <laughs> and I'm I'm glad for that. Amen. So. Uh, We ought to see the fruit of this. Amen? All right, guys. Have a great and wonderful day. Be blessed. And uh, thank you. If you don't, uh, most of you go to our church, but if if you want to come visit us tomorrow, you're welcome to. And uh, if if you watch this, we just want to say welcome. Have a great day. God bless you guys. Awesome.